Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the BNCast. Not a podcast that hasn't read the Underworld Cookbook by Osmora Namarda Kadesa Nepal Dakar, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the blazing Rootwaller herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Uh, I'm good. I'm definitely a blazing Rootwaller at the moment because it is bloody hot and I don't like it. <laughs> I want to complain. In our neck of the woods, uh, it's about mm-hmm. 27 degrees Celsius, which is about 80 on American temperatures. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just been really humid. The humidity has been like 70 to 80%. And I just want to complain again. And I don't like it. I'm sure you can agree. Yep. It's pretty much the exact same here. Yeah, yep. horrific. Other than that, I've been busy sorting out moving. So you, I know the people at home can't see the, the video call that Scott and I are on. But Scott can see <laughs> that there's boxes behind me right now. And I'm in the middle of packing. So... That has been my week, and it will continue to be my week next week, which is exciting, because it's moving, and who doesn't love moving? Moving is a bit like, you know, being an adult, but having a jigsaw puzzle of your past self, and you just figure out why you have random crap lying around, and it's just like, where did this come from? Is this someone else's? What's the story behind this? And because I'm a bit of an overthinker, I have to figure it out and get past it, and it takes forever, Mm -hmm. and it's just really, really annoying, because you have all this random stuff. Um, In terms of content... Uh, I do have a little feature going up on Polygon this week. Um, it's nice. about the best five cards in Modern Horizons 2, and I've angled it in a way that is like the most fun, unique design, not going on like power level mm. or competitive prowess. But yeah, that's it really. I haven't had time to play much Magic, because I've just been busy sorting stuff out. So, how about you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I've jumped into a new game on PC this week, actually. It's just about the only time you'll ever hear me playing this again. Uh, Control. It's free on the Epic Game Store, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was free on Epic Game Store this week. Uh, came out about a year or two ago. Action thriller kind of game. It has a very X Filesy kind of feel. Um, all about like alternate dimensions and objects that allow you to control the environment around you and shift worlds and all sorts of stuff. It's not my usual style of game, but it's really engaging. It's got a very very high production level as well. Kind of feels like a sort of playable version of like a blockbuster TV show. You know, it's very well done in that sense. Very slick. In terms of magic. I've been brewing like crazy with Modern Horizons 2. Nice. Like, same as, same as most people at the moment. Like, I've made at least 20 decks at this point. I'm honing in on a few of them that I want to kind of work on properly. Uh, like, I have pretty much settled on a Hollow One variant that I'm going to be building in paper as one of my decks. I'm pretty happy with them at the moment. You'll definitely see them over on Twitter as I post them up, if anyone's interested. Uh, I also got a lovely parcel this week from the folks over at Watsi celebrating the launch of Modern Horizons. Uh, I got some set boosters, I got some draft boosters, and I got a couple of collector boosters. Now, Ooh. I'm not one for foils, but let me tell you, the new etched foils are nothing like the old Mystical Archive ones or anything like that. They are just, these are now just full foils with like, you know, maybe one or two parts of the card art, non-foil, in order to sort of help stand out. All right. But also the, the texture is completely different. It's like if you were to imagine, you know, when you look at a normal foil, it kind of looks like, almost like tin foil. It's like super, super smooth. Or as the Americans call it, aluminum foil. <laughs> and if you were to imagine like the finest, finest grit sandpaper possible, mm. and if you made that just like super, super sparkly, that's basically what the etch foil looks like. It's very oh, similar to like the Commander Legends ones. Yeah, except, a, except it's the whole card. Because the Commander Legends ones have like that sparkly sort of, you can tell it's, yeah. it's a different kind of foil. That's pretty cool. Do you know what's in the collector booster now, though? Because there's just so many things going on. I think that's the thing that confused me when Watsi released the image going, here's what's in a collector booster. And you're just like, it's just so many explosions. 
Look, listen, right, before, <laughs> I, I'm already getting into a rant before we, before we get even past the intro, right? <laughs> but I do have to say one thing. True to form, like Magic players have to complain about everything all the time. You know, the old, the old saying, if you put a $100 bill into every single booster pack, someone will complain about how it was folded. But to be honest, it doesn't matter what's in a collector booster. The point is, if you're in the market for a collector booster, you're going to be just buying that and just taking whatever cool stuff comes out of it. Like, the only people that really need to know are like, stores like retailers that crack a lot of product so that they know what they're looking to get from each collector box or booster or whatever like no one else really needs to know like i know it'd be nice to like have the exact figures of like okay well you're going to get one full art this one non-foil full art that one alternate sketch whatever like or just open it and have fun mm. that's that's my thing I'm, I'm just complaining about people complaining like we've gone full circle yeah nature's <laughs> healing yeah that's it. My article, by the way, this week is all about returning to in-store play, right? So Watsi's in-store play suspension was lifted there in the US recently enough, and it's due to be lifted in Europe on the 2nd of July. So I wrote a small primer and checklist on, you know, what to expect, how to enjoy yourself, and how to be as welcoming as possible for other players, because, you know, we've all been through a lot. We owe each other the patience and kindness that we can give right now. So if you want to check that out, that is live now over in Car Kingdom. Nice. And yeah. Cool. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right. So you know what time it is, Emma. It's your turn for card of the week. What have you got for me? Yes, I do have a card of the week. And it's one that you're quite a fan of if Twitter's anything to go by. And that's Ghostly Pilfer. Uh, it's a card from Core Set 21, which is a little while now. So mm -hmm. for one generic and a blue mana, you get a creature spirit rogue. That is a 2-1. And it reads, whenever Ghostly Pilfer becomes untapped, you may pay two generic mana. If you do, you draw a card. Whenever an opponent casts a spell from anywhere other than their hand, you draw a card. And you can discard a card and go see Pilfer can't be blocked this turn. This mm -hmm. is like really underrated card draw on Commander, especially just given how yeah. many ways you cheat stuff into play outside of your hand. Um, if you mm -hmm. draw at least two cards off of this, it feels like a great rate. It's kind of made its mana's worth. And it works really well, like even if you cast your Commander from the Command Zone, you draw a card. If you play an Adventure yep. card, you draw a card. It just seems really good. And in fact, like you can like Voltron this up, put a load of equipment on it, discard a card finish someone off just feels really really good mm -hmm. yeah this is really good in the and i want the ruin thief deck because it's a rogue uh -huh. it's also really good in the likes of tetsuo umizawa uh, because it has one toughness which means that once tetsuo is out they're unblockable anyway you don't have to discard a card and it's additional card draw and yeah honestly and this is a hot take honestly this is budget ristic study yes and in fact, I would even argue that it's potentially better Ristic Study for two reasons. Actually, more than two reasons. One, it's way cheaper. Two, it can attack. Three, it draws cards by itself, even if your opponents are choosing not to play into it. Four, you don't have to ask people, do you pay the one? So it is significantly less irritating and therefore way more likely to stick around and survive. Now, it may not draw you as many cards if other people are trying to do stuff. But the thing is, 
it just draws cards. Mm -hmm. You know, you could just attack with it and untap with it and pay two and draw a card because you'll have spare mana in Commander. You always do. Like, we're all ramping like crazy. It is so good. I really, really love this card. I cannot stress enough how many decks can just... Like, even if there's no synergies, you could just throw this in. It's fine. Also, it's under a dollar. Yeah. Like yeah, it's fantastic. Like, I'd take that over a Rhystic Study every day. 100%. All right, so what we're talking about this week is, look, we can't avoid it. Like, it's Modern Horizons 2. We've got to stay relevant, you know? Everybody's talking about Modern Horizons 2 at the moment. Now, one thing that everyone's talking about at the moment is all the different things that you could do in Modern. One thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is how to actually get into Modern in the first place. Because a lot of people that I've seen are looking to join Modern now because they're seeing support for different things, you know, like could be something silly like squirrels or it could mm. be something for mill or whatever but they're seeing cool things and they're going oh, i might build a modern deck maybe and i've had a couple of people come up to me and be like uh, have you any suggestions on like how to get into modern because mh2 looks really cool you know so i figured that's what we would sort of touch on today and um, we would just go over a couple of things i have brewed up and built three decks to enter modern with and the good thing about these decks is that they're great to start off because they're not too difficult to pilot but they have a very high ceiling they have the potential to do very very well and are all upgradable as well in usually in multiple different directions so with that said i suppose we should kick it off so, before we jump into these decks, if you want to check out the full 75, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast, where we will have the decks listed up there. You can take a look along with the show notes, which will be a summarized version of everything that we're going to be talking about here. So, yes, without further ado, let's jump on in. And the first one that we're looking at is, Emma, is Nature Healing $100 Affinity? with actual affinity cards yeah this is it this is why i'm excited because this is the actual card that's got affinity in it so therefore it's actually an affinity deck and not just you know some label from some old paper boomer this is the real deal everybody so one little preface actually before we go any further uh, yes yes all of these decks will be improved by urza saga probably but you know what we'll worry about that later it's it's quite pricey at the moment but Yes, so you have a lot of the traditional Affinity creatures like Mem Knight and Ornithopter and stuff. It's much less explosive than Affinity pre-Mox Opal ban, but it's much, much more resilient. There are other versions of Affinity as well. This is just one iteration of it. There are other versions that run Ravager and Ink Moth and so on, like Affinity did pre-Mox Opal ban. But if you want to do that, to be honest, you're probably just better off playing Hardened Scales instead. Yeah. That's become the better Ink Moth deck and Ravager deck, in my opinion. This really, really grinds out with loads and loads of card draw, and it's got loads of value pieces like Emery Lurker, the Lock, to recur different things. This got an awful lot of new toys. Yeah. This is almost like Modern Horizons 2 block constructed deck nearly. It's crazy how many things there are. So we were talking about these before, the artifact lands. These Fantastic. are crazy. So good. Yeah, yeah, like we have four Darkseal Citadel, which already existed in Modern, but then we've got four Mist Vault Bridge and four Razor Tide Bridge, so they're the blue, black, and blue, white ones. Now, they enter tapped, right? And people are like, oh, tap lands, so you literally can't play them in Modern, no way. That's not true at all. Uh, they reduce the cost of the affinity creatures as they come in already, so it effectively acts like a normal non-artifact land on the first turn, and then as soon as you want tap with them, they tap for two mana, effectively. Mm -hmm. They're indestructible, so they're immune to land destruction, and they boost things in the deck like cranial plating and that kind of stuff. I've got a hot take on this one. Thought Monitor is the best Mold Drifter ever printed. Now that is a hot take. And I mm -hmm. love me a Mold Drifter. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I do too. 
It's six and a blue for a two-two with flying that has affinity. So in this deck, it's probably just going to cost one blue. And when it ETBs, you draw two cards. So basically, thought cast on a creature, right? Yep, basically. Essentially, and having like six of those in this deck seems really, really good. Yep, and it also carries a cranial plating very well yes. with, with flying and all that. So yeah. no, I, I really like this card, and I'm kind of happy that affinity's come back because even mm. though Mox Opal was, I think, correctly banned. I was kind of sad to see the death of affinity because of it, just because it's one of those like hallmark modern decks, right? It's it's you have that yeah. affinity guy that just play, has played affinity since you know Mirrodin and Fifth Dawn and that lot came out and just played it since. I like, played it in standard, transferred it into modern. Only thing mm. they play, sort of thing. And when yeah. when Mox Opal became banned, I was just like, oh, it's kind of sad because you know yeah, people like Frank Carsten who are obsessed with it. It's kind mm. of their legacy, so it's really good to see it come back in a more healthier way. And I think that's what a lot of what what's here trying to do, even if it's like may not seem obvious, they're kind of bringing back stuff like old archetypes, but in a less powerful, busted way. You seeing like you know faith of salvaging as an example as well, instead of faith of seeing. Yeah, yeah, it kind of feels like they're taking mistakes they've made before and sort of fixed them. Yeah, I feel like if if this was how Affinity came out in the first place, you know, without say like Ravager and without untapped artifact lands or whatever it probably would have been strong for sure yeah. but busted i don't think so so yeah rounding out the new toys in this list by the way is nettle cyst yes. which is three mana equipment with equip two and it has living weapon so when this equipment enters the battlefield you create a zero zero black phyrexian germ creature token and then attach the equipment to it and the equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. So this is going to show up loads in Commander. But in here, this is basically super cranial plating, effectively. And having additional copies of cranial plating is just like having additional copies of Thoughtcast in the form of Thought Monitor in that you're getting so much more consistent that like the same thing is more likely to happen every game. You're more likely to just overwhelm the opponent by slamming your entire hand onto the table on turn one or two and just go to town. Yeah. It's really, really nice. Uh, it's great as well because you kill the token on this and you can just re-equip it. That works. Boosting the toughness is a huge boon here because putting it onto an Ornithopter when you have, say, like a total of six artifacts out, you know, that's a 6A flyer. Yeah. That's pretty hefty. Yep, it seems pretty sweet. And I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of tempted to build Affinity in modern now because it's become a thing again as a saga aside i think it's going to be quite mm -hmm. good um and plus i'm playing it in pauper so i might as well go the whole hog right yeah why not and it i've already also, started building this also reminds me <laughs> of um is it in soul which i quite like in pioneer so maybe yep. i'm just becoming an artifact person like yourself and we're just gonna yes <laughs> we're just gonna go to the quite on quite dark side lean into it it's all good <laughs> Uh, and then the final extra little toy from this one is Sojourner's Companion, which basically is Mirror Enforcer, 7 mana 4-4 four, four with affinity for artifacts, except it has two upsides. One, it has artifact land cycling for two, so you pay two generic mana and discard this card. You search your library for an artifact land card, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. So you can find more land when needed. You Maybe you need to find that third land in order to play your Nettle Cyst and that kind of thing. And the other bonus is that it is much cuter than Mirror Enforcer because it is a silver axolotl, yeah, which is awesome. Very cute. I need to pick up a set. Yeah. I'm tempted to pick up a set in foil for Pauper because if it yeah. goes in Pauper Affinity because it's Mirror Enforcer 5 to, you know, A, and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next one up is kind of unsurprising, but it's a really good starting point if you don't know 
you don't know the modern meta game and you just want a good footing, then playing something like Burn is a really, really good place to start because if you don't know what to do, the best thing is to be aggressive. So Scott has whipped mm -hmm. up a lovely $120 burn list, which you can find on our Patreon. And it's just simply, if it ain't broke, don't fix mm -hmm. it. Just go ham with some goblin guides, and you've got like Monastery Swiss Spears. You've even got Wayward Guide Beast, which I think is quite underrated in these kind of burn builds. And then you have all like the greatest hits when it comes to burns. So you have stuff like Bolt, you've got Skullcrack, you've got Searing Blaze, you've got Rift Bolt, Skew of the Critics. And um, you've got Flame Rift, which is now legal and modern, which is quite interesting. I think mm -hmm. that card's quite good. Adjacent to that is quite good in Death Shadow as well. As we were talking about Affinity earlier, there is a lot of emphasis on Artifact and Graveyard decks and Land Hate thanks to Bond Horizons 2. So a lot of your cyborg slots um, versus burn would be at a minimum right now, which puts you in a really good yeah. like stead. So you can just... Like, there's less Oriok champions knocking about, basically, which is good. Yeah. Rolling Vortex is really, really good against the Cascade decks because Cascade has become a thing thanks to Shardless Agent. And then you've got like all the new um, Evoke cycle, which is quite good. You've got Asamora, Affinity, and all that kind of stuff. The only issue is that you've got food decks, because they have ways to gain life. Yeah. Because a f a one food token annuls a lightning bolt, which is not what you want. Mm. And this is where, where the skull cracks come in, so you can at least punish people for trying to gain life, or trying to crack multiple multiple food tokens in one go. Yeah. yeah, this seems pretty good. It seems pretty pretty quick, and if you like having a deck that means you can get lunch sooner, I'd recommend playing this. <laughs> Yeah, it's very strong. A couple of the things that are very neat with this is Wayward Guide Beast is excellent in mono red, specifically because mm -hmm. it means that you don't have to necessarily run fetch lands in order for Searing Blaze to be good, because you can just have it return a land to your hand, and then you can play it, and then you can Searing Blaze someone. So those kind of things are very, very handy. You still can fit in Eidolons here, which is great. I put in three Eidolons here and three Flame Rift because you don't want to risk doing too much damage to yourself. Like a place out of each would probably be a little much. But yeah, it's just there's loads of little interesting little synergies there that you can find in this. And yeah, it's Roiling Vortex, for like you said, probably the best sideboard card at the moment for Burn. And Smash the Smithereens because like other people are trying to play Affinity. Urza Saga is making tokens out there. This is a great way to help keep up with it. So... Yeah, there's not much else to say about Burn. I mean, you know, show your opponent pictures of fire until they don't want to play Magic anymore. It's like, <laughs> tail as old as time. Just, just, like. just count and freeze and you're good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Now, there is one final deck. This is the brew that I've been working on, and this is the deck that I'm going to be building in paper. I have the majority of it, and I've actually pre-ordered the rest of it. Huh. So, this is a $130 hollow food deck. Okay, so... You have the option to play silly powerful stuff when a new set comes out, you know, like Modern Horizons 2, one of the most powerful sets of all time. So if you want to take advantage of that and play some silly strong stuff, this is one of the more fun decks to do that and one of the more affordable ones as well. So the usual hollow and shell is here, but it also has a food package. So it adds an additional angle of attack to increase both resiliency and longevity. You don't just have that like explosive start and then you peter out. It threatens to do the usual hollow one stuff, like, you know, ruin your opponent's hand on turn one with a burning inquiry, make them discard all their lands, play yeah. out one or two four fours in the first turn or two, or just start a turn one with a flame blade adept and then like go into a goblin lore, swing for four, stock your bin, play a hollow one, do some silly stuff, right? But this got so many new pieces that it's just threatening to be like a high power deck anyway. Like, Blazing Root Walla seems like not much at all. You know, you're just like, oh, one mana, one, one, that you could pay red to turn into a three, one till end of turn. You're discarding at random in this deck a lot of the time with the Burning Inquiry and Goblin Lore. 
So you need to be okay with the cards that you're discarding. Blazing Root Walla helps add to the number of cards you're okay with discarding because you just get to play them for free. And you'd be surprised. Turn one Burning Inquiry, I've done this to a friend of mine. Turn one Burning Inquiry, I discarded two Blazing Root Wallas and put them into play. And then on turn two, I played a Mountain and just attacked and pumped both for six. Yeah. Like, attacking on turn two for six is pretty decent. It's like your <laughs> extra copies of Flame Blade of Death, right? It's just so powerful. Like, if you yeah. can't deal with it, it's just going to kill you. It's going to kill the opponent. Like, it's so quick. That's it. It's just like, yeah. you just become like this discard aggro deck, which is kind of fun as well. Yeah, it's really cool. And then for late in the game, Ox of Agonis is there to refuel you and keep you going. You can now constantly recur Feasting Troll King by making food using the Underworld Cookbook. So you tap that and discard a card in order to make a food. The special tech with the Underworld Cookbook is Oval Chase Daredevil, right? So Oval Chase Daredevil is three and a black for a 4-2 human pilot that says, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may return Oval Chase Daredevil from your graveyard to your hand. So the trick is you tap Underworld Cookbook, discard Oval Chase Daredevil. You make a food token. The Oval Chase Daredevil sees that artifact entering the battlefield and you can just return it to your hand straight away. So you have constant discard fodder which also increases the size of your Flame Blade Adept and reduces the cost of your Hollow Ones. So you see how this all starts to work together. When you have multiple cookbooks out, you could just start turboing out food. You can just keep getting back your Feasting Troll King, sacrifice three foods to bring it back into play. As more and Amartica Desenacle Dakar also acts as a great tutor for the food engine because you can turn one, cycle a Street Wraith, play Asmora, and then go and get the cookbook and then play it on the following turn, and then your engine is suddenly online. And she's a 3-3 for one, which is pretty nice. decent. It's very, very easy, like I said, with either a Street Wraith or a Burning Inquiry or any other card in the deck, pretty much. You can discard a card so you can play her. She's also potent removal. One of the most powerful parts of this card is sacrifice two foods to have a creature deal six damage to itself. Bye-bye, yeah. Primeval Titan. Yes. It's just, oh, it's beautiful. But yes, the Underworld Cookbook as well, another part to this card that this deck was missing it's repeatable controlled discard so if there's specific cards you need to have in your bin you can do your burning inquiries hope to discard them but then if you don't you can just activate your cookbook and discard whatever you need to it's trivial to get the right cards into the right zone at the right time it does rely on the graveyard but also has a non-graveyard plan but also has this like weird random card plan and it's just so much fun. There's so many angles of attack in this deck now that it feels like most opponents can cover like one or two of the angles, but then are still susceptible to the other one. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing you want to be doing in modern, at least now. Yeah. Anyway. I kind of like how someone's just gone, yeah, this this draft chaff from Kaladesh in uh, Herbal <laughs> Chase Daredevil is now like pivotal to a, a, almost a tier one one deck at this point. I know tiers are a bit... Are a bit moot at this point because the sets they're all over new. the place it's all yeah. over the place but like who would have thought that just some draft some draft chaff would be a linchpin for one of the most like powerful sort of concepts know, right? in modern at the moment i just love <laughs> i just love how people just come up with these ideas and go yeah i just remember this card from way back when it's going to be perfect here it's great yep yep i originally had bartered cow from throne yes. of eldraine in the slot the four mana three three that when it dies or it's discarded um you make a food so if you get rid of it with the underworld cookbook it makes two food yeah. but then you don't have it coming back to your hand it's not quite as good i enjoyed i, I enjoyed it because people called it mugak <laughs> with feast and troll king being a reference to yeah. Hogak. i just enjoyed that for a couple of days i thought it was quite entertaining <laughs> yep yep uh, please stop calling it uh, Hogak, though, because I don't want to get it banned. Uh, 
it's 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 not banworthy to be honest it's it's definitely not banworthy it is very very strong though and this is roughly the kind of power level that you should be looking at for modern going forward something along the lines of one of these decks that we were talking about you know you could be straight shooting like burn you can really really grind them out with affinity or you can just try and gotcha your opponent on turn one by ruining their hand and playing eight power you know sometimes that there works is, there is something satisfying then with the turn one burning inquiry in the time i played hollow one oh, yeah. it was it was kind of nice or you get burning inquiry and you're like oh god this is terrible but your hand just gets better it's like haha get ready <laughs> yeah it's good so yes they are the three decks we suggest for joining modern with at the moment you can pick up any of these there's very very little chance of anything in them currently from getting banned or changed or affected or whatever and you'll be able to run these for a long time you know the great thing about modern is that you don't have to be looking at tier one decks there are I'd say one to 200 different decks that you can perform very very well with because the carpool is that wide the difference between high tier and low tier is actually significantly slimmer than people think I, I say this all the time I've probably said it about 10 times in this cast already but you can 100% beat tier 1 decks with like tier 3 decks. You know, you just have to know what to play for and what to play towards well, and play to your outs. We, and... we have proof of that because Merfolk wins sometimes. Yeah. And if they can win games, then surely, <laughs> you know, any, it's anyone's game, right? Yeah, that's very fair. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, those are those decks. Now, there is one thing that we need to talk about, and that is Urza Saga. Not the set. No, this isn't. No, <laughs> no, this isn't to talk about the set, and no, this isn't a call for something to be banned. Though it's not entirely off the table. But with that said, uh, the card is everywhere right now, right? It's everywhere. It's in control decks. It's in affinity. It's in it's in the food decks to go and get the underworld cookbook while also making large constructs thanks to the food. Like, it's it's all over the place. There's a lot going on with this card. It could potentially end up being banned at some point. It does feel like it's of a power level that it needs to be considered, at least. But I'm not really going to jump on board with it, mostly for two reasons. One, it's very, very early. And two, it's actually kind of fun. I like I like the idea of the card. I'm happy that Watsi are breaking the norms a little bit they're trying different mm. things and having a saga on a land is very very different this is the first time we've had it it's very exciting um mm -hmm. i'm fine with stuff like this because it's not hogak it's not arkham's astrolabe it's not like yes it's warping modern but it's not warping modern in a terrible way i don't think i don't i wouldn't call it unhealthy it's not like it's the tier zero it's not like oh here's some modern decks as a saga decks, like at least at least that's yeah. what it seems to me. It's not quite as agarious as Hogak, but then again, it has only been a week, and the paper release is not even out yet. Even when this episode drops, the paper release is not out yet. So this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I have a problem with when it comes to this card, to be honest, apart from it, the fact that it's ubiquitous basically at this point uh, with most decks, but it allows decks an additional angle of attack for very little additional cost. So take, for example, Field of the Dead. That was removed because all of the Amulet Titan decks just got a free roll additional grindy way to, to win out. You compare that to Urza Saga, and that's basically what you're giving other decks like, say, Lantern Control or, or whichever. And, you know, if you've ever seen this being played in Affinity, this is a land that sits around for three turns, 
goes and gets you a pithing needle to turn off your opponent's most important thing and also happens to make you like two 12-12s. You know, so it's pretty absurd in, in the right build and all other builds, it just feels very, very good. The thing is though, you need to be able to deal with it efficiently to save from falling behind. You know, if you're not playing with Urza Saga, that's fine. There are ways around it. There are ways to deal with it. It's not absolutely necessary, at least right now, to play. You will nearly always be down on the exchange, though, particularly the longer you leave it. You know, like if they just play it and then pass the turn and then you blow it up or something, then that's okay. You're kind of sort of one for one on that exchange. Um, but if they get to make a token or two tokens and go tutor up the thing, then you're, you're really, really falling behind. You're better off dealing with it before the last chapter anyway. Also, little tip before we go any further. Activate any abilities that you need to activate while the third chapter is on the stack. Do not let it resolve because if your opponent goes and fetches up a pithing needle, there is no opportunity between the third chapter resolving and the pithing needle entering the battlefield mm. in which you can activate abilities. They're just turned off at that point. Just a little thing that I just thought of there. Just be aware of it. But with that said, there are a number of different ways to combat it. Right? A lot of people have been looking at it and going, oh god, oh, Urza Saga, how do we deal with this? There are quite a few good ways, right? First of all, we just named Pitting Needle. This is what I was saying earlier. The best way to beat an Urza Saga is with another Urza Saga <laughs> getting Pitting Needle and naming Urza Saga. But yeah, Pitting Needle, Source of Spyglass, all that kind of thing. They just turn it into a land that taps for colorless and then eventually goes away. That's fine. That's okay. You have Land Hate, which is seems like the obvious option. I think the two best ones, in my opinion, are Cleansing Wildfire and Spreading Seas because they replace themselves. Spreading Seas, by the way, when you put it on, don't ask me to give the fine details on it, but when you put it on to Inertia Saga, it actually just kills the land. Um, you still get the card draw out of it, but, and then, you know, you've got the usual, like Blood Moons, you've got Ghost Quarter, Field of Ruin. These are only really good if you can follow them up with pressure. It's the same as like Blood Moon normally, you know, play a Blood Moon against Tron. It's like, well done. They're still just going to play seven lands and carn you anyway. You have to kill them before they can do anything about it. So, With the prevalence of Urza Saga, there is a lot of good artifact enchantment hate that you can use to deal with said saga. Um, so Nature's Claim and Disenchant are the best two. Probably Nature's Claim is the best one just because it is one mana and it's a lot more efficient. Mm -hmm. Disenchant is a little slower, but if you're in white, it's fine. It's not ideal, but it can deal with like any of the tokens after the fact it can be removed, like artifacts, you know, so it's less time specific. You can also deal with stuff like food tokens if they can't pay to crack it or whatever, which kind of helps as well. Mm -hmm. You've got creature hate to deal with the construct, stuff like fatal push is going to be really good because the tokens cost have a mana value of zero. Then you've got yep. a braid, you've got, you know, path to exile, you even got prismatic ending, which I think is severely mm -hmm. underplayed in modern. I think that card's quite good and people should be yep. playing more of it, even if you're in two colours. Um, and then you've got Engineered Explosives, which I think is the best sweeper in modern at the moment, <laughs> just because everything is so low mana value, like it's one and zero, and this card is just fantastic. And you can bring it back with Luris as well, to an extent, so. Yep, for sure. And look, if none of these seem like the kind of thing that you want to be doing to deal with Urza Saga, just ignore it and race it. Yeah. Like, just play Combo, just play Storm, just play Burn and Prowess, just... Get him dead. Like, yeah, I was going to say, say, nice as a saga. It'd be a shame if I lightning bolt you in the face repeatedly. <laughs> be a shame if you died before you got to activate it. Yeah, nice, nice construct, <laughs> <bro>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's it. That's the, a little piece that we wanted to just add on to the end for a little bit of value because that's all that Urza Saga is about. It's just nothing but value. Yeah. 
Personally, if you're interested in playing with Urza Saga and you really, really, really want to buy them, I would say just buy them. But at the same time, if you are asking me if it's a good idea, I would probably say no. I would be like, hold off, because they're expensive enough as they are already. So they're either going to stay roughly the same price or drop or get banned and drop. So yeah. maybe so wait. I'm looking, to, I'm looking to build Affinity. I think that's the deck I've settled yeah. on to build next in modern over Dredge. Dredge is like on the back burner mm-hmm. for now. Um, I really want to build okay. a fitty because cranial plating is very similar to like putting a rank on a bogle, right? It's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same difference, right? Um, yeah. I'm going to build it without Urza Sagas to begin with, but I am, I'm expecting to get some product from WotC soon. So if I open them, I'll use them. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But I'll, I, I'm not confident in buying a set, especially at the price they are now. Granted, the prices are a little mm. inflated because they're pre-ordered. There isn't much of a circulation. I still think they're going to be expensive just for given how diverse, you know, it is in various decks. So even someone who wants to build Affinity, I'm holding off at the moment just because it's a lot of money just to go down the toilet, given the power level yeah. of the card. And the deck's still yeah. playable without Urza Saga. I mean, you proved it with your Affinity list, so... 100%. Yeah. The one thing to bear in mind, though, is that if, if it does end up getting banned in Modern... I don't actually expect the price to go down all that much. And the reason I'm saying that is because Commander Commander players are currently screaming, saying, can you modern players please stop buying this card so that we can buy it? Uh, It says get get target soul ring, right? Yeah, basically. (laughs) Or or one of several different combo pieces or great value pieces. Like, there's just so much you can do here. It's, It's silly powerful. But yeah, that is it for Urza Saga. Emma, before we sign off, have we got any Q&A? We do have a couple of questions this week. Um, so we've got a question from Barbarian's Riddle who asked last week, but we were in the middle of recording, so we're going to answer it now. Um, oh, yeah. They said, rather than trying to buy into the Ace Moore Hogak deck, which would be the Moogak deck that I was referencing earlier, um, they'd recommend Lane on the Void. This deck, Dragon Race Channel of Blood Brain Mortar and the Reanimation deck, even if it's not great, shows a, like, there's a lot of graveyard-centric mm-hmm. decks and thanks to Modern Horizons too. Leyland's was a really good one. They are a little expensive, I believe, because they've only had like two printings. I want to say Guild Pact and like Corset 19, Corset 20. Um, and then mm. you have the Time Shifter frame in TSR, but that's quite expensive anyway. Um, but if you're after a more budget version, Grafdigger's Cage is a really good like placeholder on that. And you know, you've got stuff like Ravenous Trap, which is, you know, sort of print in Double Masters, I believe, which is now really, really cheap. And then, again, you have stuff like Cling to Dust, which I think is fantastic in modern. Like, I think you can just play that card anyway, regardless if there's graveyard hate, because you can draw a card. And then you've got stuff like Fairy Macabre, if you want to give someone the surprise, and if you're playing, like, the Living End decks as well, because you get to recur later on. Um, It's old Legacy Tech, but they just wanted to inform you that there is a wealth of graveyard hate options at various prices. Yep, yep, for sure. Grafdigger's Cage, just as a little FYI, because this yeah. does occasionally get the odd person, uh, doesn't affect Living End. Yep. So, uh, as someone yeah. who used to play a lot of John Living End, I know. <laughs> and I, I would, I would do it as a good courtesy at an FNM. Would just be like, just so you know, don't bring in Grafdigger's Cage. It's not going to work the way you think it does. Because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be a bit of a, 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 a you know, a, a poor person to make a poor note. But oh, by the way, this is how it works. Um, yeah. So for sure. next question is from Dean Stephen. Um, they have two questions for us. The first one is, what is the best budget deck you guys have ever built? And did you keep it to upgrade it? This is really hard Ooh. for me. Oh, no, I've got one. I've got one. 
Ah, this is very hard for me because I, I was actually trying to figure out what decks I still have here, and I have more than I thought I did. I think the the best one that I've built is probably Twiddlestorm. Probably. But that's based on the fact that I have a ton of reps with it. You know, I've probably played that deck more than any other deck. So I really, really know what it's like. But it's not really something that I would just hand to someone that's like, oh, I'm going to play in an event this weekend. Can I borrow a deck? I'd probably hand Burn or something instead. But I think overall for like, in terms of like most powerful or like highest win rates, probably Twiddlestorm. So mine's a little different. So mine's not modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine's in Pioneer. So my successful mm-hmm. brew that I did was Mono White Auras. The the fifty dollar oh, yeah. the yeah. fifty dollar hate the aura aggro deck with like SRAMs and mm-hmm. stuff because I built that for because I, I was getting into Pioneer um, and I really wanted to build a blocking aura's deck um, so I built that and I built it adjacent because similar to what you were saying about Twiddlestorm it's it's a really good deck for well in this case this deck's really good for like first time players people who are trying to get into the format because you just slap on some auras and yeah. you turn sideways very straightforward gives you a good grasp of the format. And yeah, I had a little bit of success with that, and it was just really cheap because it was mostly just like Feroz draft chaffs. So it kind of worked. Yeah. Um, and second one was back in standard when mm-hmm. uh, Team Energy was a thing, um, yeah. and Esper Tokens was becoming quite uh, prolific as a way to beat Team Energy. My little tech, which is something I'm always proud about, is adding Crested Sun there to the deck which is okay. a mythic rare from Arrow of Devastation, where it makes 4-4 four, four mm-hmm. horses, um, indestru- like 5-5 five, five indestructible horses on each end step if you gain life. And because you have stuff like Hidden Stockpile and you have all this, this sack engine stuff, you just yeah. keep making loads of horses and, you know, Team Energy players didn't <laughs> play Arrow of Devastation at this point, so it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to trample yeah. over with some horses. That's something what I always enjoy as well. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And then it's just a look of wait, it's each end step, and they look at the card. And it's like, oh yeah, this is why it's a mythic. Nice. And the second question they asked is, um, they love the is it primer we did um, on Pioneer. Mm. Will we be doing more? And I think the answer is yes, because you know there's yeah. not a lot, not a lot of love for Pioneer at the moment, and the format seems really, really good despite Modern Horizons two coming out and everyone wants to play Modern. Mm. Pioneer's in a really, really sweet spot, and I'll be looking to do something soon, or at least prep some notes up for a a deck that I really enjoy playing that may run some auras or not. I can't yeah. can't confirm or deny that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've got a I've got a bunch of decks that I've played loads of in Pioneer as well. I'd be more than happy to to do more primers. Yeah, Pioneer's Pioneer's so good. Yeah. Shame. Now paper plays coming back, especially in like Europe. Hopefully, it yeah. it brings some it brings some love back into the format. Fingers crossed. So lastly, we have a question from Kilgore Trout Five Hundred Three, and they ask, "What is the most successful budget brew you have ever played?" Oh, most successful is like. Is that competitive? Very, very vague. Because yeah, it could be like, what's what's the best result you did with a deck, and what was it? Or, you know, what do you think was like your 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 greatest piece, like your greatest work, like that kind of success? Or, but you know what? I'll I'll say it's probably been probably mono red prowess in modern. Like when I played it, I had a stupidly high win rate with it. It was like seventy percent plus. Nice. Now, if I was playing against you know, high-level players and that kind of thing, like at GPs and stuff, that win rate would definitely be lower. I'm not saying I'm a good player here, but uh, it, w- it, it was a deck that just really, really clicked with me. Mm. After that, it's probably like the Is It In Soul deck in Pioneer. I went undefeated at Magic Fest Brussels. 
uh, for the entire weekend of side events. I played nothing but Pioneer side events. Nice. I walked out of there with three cases of Taros Beyond Death, or three boxes, and I was like, yeah, this is great. Nice. Uh, if we're talking brews, though, because they're, they're, they were established decks, you know, if we're talking brews, could have been Mono Black Aggro around uh, Rivals of Ixalan standard. I got second place in a PPTQ with it. One you'd be proud of was when I made day two of the Red Bull Untapped event with Mono White Pants in standard. Yes. And then there was, <laughs> when I originally streamed, uh, I was known for playing Gates. Yes, uh, I remember and this. Every time, every time I played a Gates Ablaze, uh, I would have to say, Gates Ablaze! Nice. And like slam it. Um, <laughs> like, like, like Flavor Flavor or something, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I played five color Gates in Corset 20 standard. I won the store championship with four Field of the Dead in my deck. And like nobody at that point knew that that card was busted. Mm. They were just like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe. Like commander players were like, this might be interesting. And I was just there like, yeah, so I'm going to uh, play like four Field of the Dead and then I'm going to secure this route and then I'm going to get two more gates and I'm going to draw eight cards and make eight zombies and uh, just crazy stuff. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. Um, but none of those decks were over $100. Yeah. Which was neat. I think the only one that comes into mind for me, again, we're going back to standard, um, is mm. when I played or when I built Mono Black Eldrazi back in like okay. Battle for Zendikar... I believe Kaladesh standard, it was that sort of window. And it was just basically, it had the Eldrazi package, so you had your thought not, you mm. had a couple of thought losses, you had some uh, reality smashes, um, but you ran, no, it was Eldritch Moon as well, because you had like Lillian Last Hope. And it was kind of like Mono Black mid range, but it just had the Eldrazi package. Okay. And I it had Bearer of Silence, because it was really, really good against Bristling Hydra, because you kick it and they have to set the Bristling Hydra. That was my tech mm. to deal with Bristling Hydra, because that card is mm -hmm. annoying. Um, and I, I like top eight is like a PPTQ. I, I like top eight a game day with it as well, just because it was just like a mono black control deck. You had like Grasp of Darkness, which was quite good. You had Fatal Push, yeah. and you had um, even even ran like a Murder because it was just clean removal. It was just it was really really sweet, and it was just like stuff I had. One time I had a Mary Shaper, and it died, and it turned into a Lily Last Hope, and it was really great. That's gross. That was great. The one time <laughs> Mary Shaper's actually done something for me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the cheering fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, and Christopher McCarthy. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nurblin, Everett Brogan, Tom Telford, Alex Gibson, Jeff Eaton, and Bo Schwartz Madsen. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.